my order. Anyway, uh, I know that much of today will be a day of celebrating the dads in our lives and uh, being thankful for them. But most of all, as we gather this morning, we get a chance to see the greatest role model we have for a father in God the Father. And so we are gathered here to worship him, to gather around his word, to celebrate as his people the fact that we have a loving and faithful God, steadfast and merciful and compassionate. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Our father is a great example of what it truly means to be a loving and righteous holy father and so let's pray as we come into this time of worship together heavenly father i thank you so much that you are compassionate i, I thank you that you are uh, all the things that the scriptures say that that we can understand who you are as a father and lord i pray for the fathers among us that we would not just see our role as father as being a protector or or someone to put food on the table but we would understand that you have given us the responsibility to shape character character that honors the Lord, that we would develop within our families, families focused on the good news of Jesus Christ, and that we would be committed in prioritizing our raising up of the next generation in the manner that we see Jesus exhibit the Father's love to us. So Lord, we are thankful that we can gather and worship you this morning. May you be glorified by our time in song and in prayer and our time in your word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Doing this this past Friday as, as I was, but uh, I, I spent the time on Friday thinking about a holiday that uh, many people were celebrating, and some of us for the very first time, as we thought about uh, something that we hadn't been aware of, something I hadn't been aware of prior to the past seven days or so. What I'm talking about is the holiday of Juneteenth, which is a holiday which has been celebrated since 1865. But this past Friday, our governor actually declared it as Juneteenth Day here in Connecticut. It became an official recognized holiday here in Connecticut. Now, the holiday is actually celebrating something that happened on June 19, 1865, because on that day, General Gordon Granger led more than 2,000 federal troops into Galveston, Texas. Now, why is this significant? Because it's significant because of the message he carried, but it's also significant because of the place that they were entering into. See, Galveston, Texas was kind of like the far reaches of our nation in, in many ways, in, at least there in the South. And so, though President Lincoln had uh, declared the Emancipation Proclamation, setting uh, slaves in the South free back in 1863, it wasn't until this day that that emancipation was actually upheld and affirmed that far west in Galveston, Texas. Because on that day, as the federal troops entered into Galveston, Texas, they declared that all slaves were free men. Even though it had been true for a couple of years, they enforced this law. And so since 1865, the, the state of Texas has recognized the importance of this day. And, and now we do too here in Connecticut. Now, I say this because I feel kind of awkward about that. I feel kind of sad about that. that I mean, I, I grew up in the public school system, and I, I had a great upbringing. I, I learned a lot of really great things. But you would think that, that this would be part of history that we would be learning, is this, this moment where, 
where justice is upheld and enforced and, and celebrated, that, that our nation has done something right. And you would think, I would think, that this would be something more of us would be aware of, but, but we're not. Now, I'm not, not saying that to beat ourselves up or to beat myself up, but I'm saying, saying that. I'm sharing this as an example to say, as we look at our world, there are examples that we can find where, where everything isn't as we think it should be, right? Things are not as good as they should be. Things are not as righteous and just as they should be. I, I, I'm saying this to highlight that our world is not as racially equal or maybe using this as an example of maybe a, a racial inequality as we see it in the world. Now, see, the funny thing is, regardless of your perspective on the issue of race and equality, I think we can all acknowledge and, and come to a common place to say that all things in this world are not as they should be, right? I mean, this, this is not the peace that we long for. And so I think we start from that place to recognize that, that there's something we need to figure out. See, early on in this global pandemic, there seemed to be this anthem that we shouted, right? We, we, we would have people gathering on their patios to celebrate and ring in the, the changing of the shifts of first responders to, to say thank you to their, their selfless sacrifice and the work they were doing. We, we saw commercials on TV that ran about, about the fact that you are not alone, right? That, that, that we are in this together. You'd see posters and flyers around town saying, we are in this together, Somehow we can be united around uh, the, the struggles of facing a global pandemic, but when it comes to this issue of racial equality, humanity still struggles to address this, to address the issue that typically divides us. But maybe, you know, maybe the reason why is that we're putting the cart before the horse. Maybe it's because we're, we're looking at this purely on a horizontal level, on a humanity level, rather than recognizing that this is something that we need to address on a God level. See, today we're starting a new series called God and Justice, where, where we want to explore this idea of justice from God's perspective and let that trickle down into our hearts and our lives to shape how we're living and, and living out the gospel in our communities. And so as we do, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to make a few commitments with me as we walk through this, this series because I recognize that people are on other sides of the aisle or even if they're on the same side of the aisle on this issue, somehow when we communicate it, it comes across as we're throwing daggers across the aisle at one another. And so I'm going to ask you to, 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 to approach this series with a few commitments. First of all, keep an open mind. You know, if we are truly going to be transformed in Jesus' image, if we truly believe that the gospel is this gracious gift where God gives us a new life, that we recognize that that new life is a life of transformation through which Jesus is doing a work in our lives. And if we're going to fight against that, if we're going to hold a tight fist on our beliefs and our ideas and not hold them open-handedly before God, and then we really have no hope for change and transformation. And so I want to encourage you to have an open mind, to see this as an opportunity where God can shape you through his word, where God can grow your beliefs around his word. Second commitment, I want you to, to set aside your presuppositions. Now, I know this is an issue we see in politics, in our society. This is an issue that's, that's relevant uh, in all areas of our world right now. 
But I'm going to ask you to set aside your presuppositions based on your political party or what your view on social justice is. Set that aside to help keep an open mind so that we can allow God's word to shape this belief first and foremost. Let God's word wash over you, wash over your heart and shape the very center of your being, your thinking in this area. Third commitment, make it your aim to listen well and to learn intently. Learn from one another. Don't, don't approach the situation as if I've got something I need to teach them. Approach every situation to say, God, what do you want me to learn from this person? And listen for God's answer. Listen for what he wants you to learn. There's so much to our world that we will learn and appreciate and actually be excited to understand as we recognize the, the, the view of reality outside our own. And then lastly, as we walk through this topic of God and justice, I want you to realize that we can actually apply these things to our daily lives, our, our faith family, our community at large, our neighborhoods, our, our, fam, our, our, our immediate families. We have to realize this is very practical in applying the gospel to our lives. I heard this from Dr. Harold Lewis, who is the senior vice president of biblical diversity within Converge. And he said this. He challenged the pastors with this. He says, don't treat others the way you want to be treated. Right? That's, that's the saying we sometimes tell our kids. Treat others the way you want to be treated. He says, don't, don't treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way God has treated you. Think about that for a minute. Don't treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way God has treated you, lovingly, sacrificially, graciously, mercifully, compassionately. Treat others the way God has treated you. So with these commitments in mind, I want to encourage us to consider this idea of justice first and foremost from from God's perspective, from, from God's point of view, and recognize that it's a priority for God and should thereby be a priority for us. And so this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to, to Psalm 89. You can flip through to the app on your phone, the, the Bible app. If you're on Trinity's app, you can uh, switch through the Bible on, through our app as well and, and go to Psalm 89. And I'm going to pick up in verse 5. Let me read for us the passage. The psalmist says this. He says, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves, waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. 
For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know, I know that your word is living and breathing and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would cut away the fat in our lives, cut away those false ideas, cut away, cut away those presuppositions that are not from you, cut away the falseness that we believe, and, Lord, build up in us. Let what remains be your truth, your word. May we have a right understanding of you, Father, this morning. May that be our starting point, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at Psalm 89 this morning, it may seem like an interesting passage to start our series with, but, but what I think we can glean from Psalm 89 is that justice is a priority for God. Not because he, he created it or defines it, but those are both true. Justice is a priority for God because it's who he is. Before God takes any just actions, he is a just God. That's, that's who he is. But, but here's the thing. Looking at Psalm 89 to consider the character of God feels ironic. You, if you read through these verses, you hear these, these examples, these proclamations of God's character. But, but at the same time, there's an irony here to Psalm 89 because Psalm 89 as a whole ends with a promise of God being yet unfulfilled. And, and not yet being unfulfilled alone, but almost there's a hopelessness that it could ever be fulfilled. In verse 33 through 36, the psalmist recalls the promise of God, which was God proclaiming this unending kingdom, this dynasty of King David, this lineage that would always sit on the throne of his kingdom. The psalmist says this, starting in verse 33, where he records God saying this, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or, my altar, or the altar the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. But here's the thing. As we look at the history of Israel, as we consider history recorded, We hear the story in 586 B.C. of how Israel was conquered by the Babylonians. And the last descendant of David to sit on the throne, King Zedekiah, endured some gruesome conquering by the Babylonian hands. It's a little bit grotesque, but we're told in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 7, that King Nebuchadnezzar slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. This was the last king of Israel, the last human king of Israel, to sit on the throne there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed. They would be rebuilt, but it was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Not only did Israel no longer have a king, but Israel would no longer have a Davidic king. They would no longer have a king that followed in succession of David's heritage. So from a human standpoint, from a human point of view, God's promise wasn't just a circumstance yet to be fulfilled. It seemed impossible, humanly impossible that this promise would be true. And yet, as we we read in Psalm 89, verses 33 through 36, God declares, I'll not remove my steadfast love or or, or be false to my faithfulness, right? I'm going to be true to this promise. 
Even though we, from a human point of view, can't see how this promise will be fulfilled. So what is the psalmist to make of this? How, 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 how is he to understand justice in light of the circumstances he's living in? See, justice would be found in the balance between a promise given and a promise fulfilled. Right? It would be to say, I promise I will do this, and then that promise being fulfilled, there is a balance, a justice that's achieved. And so what do you do when it seems like God is unjust and unloving and the circumstances you find yourself, you're feeling hopelessness in? Well, what does the psalmist do? The psalmist calls upon the character of God, the root of it all, the foundation of the promise, which is the character of God himself. His hope lies not in his circumstances. It lies not in what he can see from a human point of view, but in the character, the unchanging and never contradicting character of God. See, God can't be both faithful and unfaithful. God can't be both true and untrue. So when our circumstances seem anything but certain, when the psalmist's circumstances seem anything but certain, he has, he's able to have an assurance and a conviction that what God has promised to do, he will accomplish. Everything will be balanced. Everything will be equitable in the end because God is balanced and equitable. See, the promise given will be a balance out of this promise given and this promise fulfilled. So what characteristic is it that the psalmist relies on? What, what characteristic is it that he falls back on, that he calls on to find his hope and his conviction and his assurances in this time? It says it's his righteousness and his justice. Look at verse 14 of Psalm 89. The psalmist writes, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. See, the throne that the psalmist describes is not some seat. It's the very character of God. Have you ever heard someone say, uh, you know, you should just follow your heart. F- follow your instincts. Follow your heart. Follow, follow what you believe to be true. Now, I think what they're saying is there's this place inside of you, your, your soul, your heart, your very, the center of your being that, that, that you can follow to drive forth. It's your very, your very character that you can pursue the future with. Right? Here in Psalm 89, the psalmist describes or depicts the character of God as a throne because everything God says and does flows from his character like a king ruling from his throne. God is righteous and just. God is steadfast in love. He's faithful. Now, righteousness and justice come from two Hebrew words, mishpat and tzedek. And to be honest, they're very close words. So when they use them together like this, it's almost like this reinforcement of the same idea. That, that it's giving a bigger and broader but, but more specific definition of a situation than just one word will give. And to be honest, they, they can almost be used and have been used interchangeably in the Old Testament at times. Well, how they, what they basically mean is they describe how something measures up against a standard. Well, maybe you've heard the phrase, the scales of justice. You know that picture where you've got this, uh, you know, one of those weight scales that you'd use in science class or something like that where you, you put something on this side and then you add 
weights incrementally until you see the scales balance out, and then you know that uh, on this side, the object weighs the same amount as the objects on this side, right? You, 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 you can understand the, you can learn the weight of an object based on the weight you add on this side, and they balance out. Gravity is a good example, a good illustration of justice, right? What goes up must come down, right? There, there's this picture of, of a balance there with gravity. Think about this for a moment. Do you want a God who compromises his, his standard and, and lowers his standard, or a God who maintains equity and balance, maintains his standard by balancing it out with his own life? What seems more right and just and consistent to you? A, a God who, who takes the scale and, and, and kind of fidgets with the scale just kind of make the, the weight balance out? Or God that says, no, 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 don't, don't mess with the balance of the scale. I'll sit on the other side. I'll, I'll balance it out for you. I'll make sure that, that you are equitable and righteous and just, that you measure up to the standard that you're called to measure up to. I'll make sure that you are righteous. Think about it in the context of the garden, right? After Adam and Eve sinned, would you want God to say, okay, you know what, that's okay, it happens. You can, you can just move over to this side of the garden, go on, go enjoy the rest of your time over there. Or would you want a God to say, no, no, it's not okay. I need to remove you from this situation so that sin doesn't overtake the garden. But here's the thing. I'm going to make sure that there's a way that peace and justice and righteousness can be achieved again. But I'm going to make that possible by sending my son to be the balance, to, to pay the price, to, to pay the debt, to redeem us back from sin. Do you want a God who compromises his standards? Or a God that says, I'm not going to compromise my standards, but I'm going to realize you can't, you can't measure up in your own ability, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to step in for you and make sure that you balance out, the, the balance the scales of justice. You know, if you look up the word righteous in the Oxford Dictionary, you know what the example, they give those example sentences. You know what the example I found was? That bread pudding is righteous, right? I mean, that, that sounds like a bad example to me. I'm not sure I would have put bread pudding in righteous. I mean, I know a lot of us like bread pudding. That's fine. But it just seemed out of, out of order, right? That bread pudding is righteous. But maybe a better example for those of us who lived in, what, the 60s or the 70s, Man, that song is righteous. I'm not even sure I'm saying that right. But, 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 but that idea, you know, like that, that saying that song is awesome. That bread pudding is awesome. That's great. In terms of the standard of excellence of a song or bread pudding, they're saying they measure up excellently. They're righteous. They're good. They're on par. They're on, on standard. So what this means then in our understanding of God's character is that God is fair and balanced that he is the standard of measurement of what's good and beautiful and excellent. So, so if you and I want justice in this world, and I think we do, I think no matter where you stand on this issue, we all want justice. We just may not be achieving it, and we may not be going about it right. But, but no matter where we stand, we want justice, justice, and if we want justice, we need to start with God. We need to start with the God who defines justice, who defines righteousness by his very character. But here's the thing. You know, actually, when, when we were, uh, one, one, you know, one of the many 
webinars I've attended, many ways I've been trying to learn and educate myself as we think about reopening the building here at Trinity, one of the things I heard was, when you think you've done enough, you've probably done just enough. In other words, you haven't gone far enough. You need to do more, right? That there's so much to, to be concerned about. And it's the same idea with justice and righteousness. We can't just stop at the definition of justice and feel like, hey, we've accomplished something. Let's, let's throw a party because we know now what justice means. No, justice and righteousness are not some status to achieve or concepts to understand. They're a way of life to walk in. Understand this for a minute. Think about it for a moment. Understanding justice and righteousness as a concept is not enough. It's only enough when we learn to walk in the way of justice and righteousness as our Father introduces us to to walk in. In in Psalm 89, verses 15 and 16, we read this. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. See, the Christian life is a life of walking with Jesus in the way of Jesus and in the manner of Jesus. That, that means justice and righteousness cannot be some issue that kind of sits on the periphery of our lives that says, yeah, I know what justice and righteousness means. I go to a church that, that uh, affirms that. Now, justice and righteousness needs to be at the very core of our being. We, we don't leave justice and righteousness for the politicians or the, the social activists to figure out. As a church, we need to be the pace setters for justice and righteousness. We need to be the ones that set the definition, make it clear of who God is and his character of justice and righteousness and invite the politicians, invite the social activists to come along with us as we walk in the way of Jesus, as we pursue his justice and his righteousness. And there, a blessing comes. The blessing comes when we live our lives close enough to walk in light of Jesus' face. In other words, the gospel is not some compartment of my life. It's central to living my entire life. By the way, did you, did you notice the description of the person who, whose life is walking this path of righteousness and justice? Blessed. Right? I think this is the first example of, of hashtag blessed we find in the Bible. Blessed is the one, right? Blessed is the one, who, or the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. I, I, I'm going to take a picture later on. My kid's giving me a foot rub, and, and I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to say, oh, blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. But, but before that moment, there comes an even greater blessing. A life that's shaped in happiness and blessedness because God created a way for us to walk in where there is peace and justice and equity. And church, hear me say this, I fear that many of us are not walking in this way. This word of blessed is a biblical concept and it's used interchangeably with the word happy. You want happiness? Happiness is found in walking with Jesus day by day. We too are invited to walk this path, to walk in the way of King Jesus, and and to live in the light of his face, to become more and more like him. 
But we start with God. Because justice is first and foremost a concern of God's. Because it, it is who he is. It's his character. Another aspect of his character is that he's also gracious. In fact, Paul reminds us of this in Romans 3.23 when he, he says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the standard of God's excellence. If you imagine a scale, we're sitting on this end and, and, and the scale's up here. We're imbalanced because every single person on this planet has sinned and fallen short of that glory, fallen short of that standard. But Paul also tells us in verse 24 that we're also justified by his grace as a gift. Let me read the verse for us. We're all justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, when God sent his son to die on the cross, when Jesus died, a historical moment in history, when the son of God died on a Roman cross... He upheld this standard of perfection. He said, you know what? You're never going to be able to balance out that scale in your own doing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to send my son to take action. And what his death on the cross accomplished is that he balanced out the scale so that we might be considered just in God's eyes. And that's a gracious gift. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's unmerited favor of God, a gift we receive through the life of Jesus Christ. We, we are actually, in that moment, we're considered righteous the way bread pudding and the way a song might be considered. In that sort of bread pudding or, or song sort of way, when it's excellent, when it's achieved that standard of excellence, we're considered that righteousness, that righteous in God's eyes. And so as a result, Jesus invites us to walk with him in the manner by, by which we've been called. Interestingly enough, the prophet Isaiah describes this way 700 years before Jesus is even born. In chapter 1 of Isaiah, we hear the way described like this. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Justice is first and foremost a God issue because it's who God is. And he invites us to walk in this way with him. Before there are ever a, a political or a social or cultural issue, justice and, and righteousness are first God's concern. And God is faithful to accomplish all that he has promised to accomplish. By the way, the, the promise mentioned in Psalm 89, though it seems like it's impossible to be fulfilled, God fulfills that promise. Because there is a descendant of David who sits on the throne for all eternity. And he is righteous and just, steadfast in his love and faithfulness. And you can read about his family tree in Matthew chapter 1, where it traces his life from Abraham to King David, and then from King David to his very life. And that person is King Jesus. He's also our king. He, he rules and reigns over our hearts and minds and our lives, and he rules and reigns for all eternity. His rule and his reign is righteous and just, and he calls upon the people of his kingdom to follow him 
in this way of love. The way of love we talked about in the context of spiritual gifts just last a uh, couple weeks ago. Right? We can't talk about this way of love in the context of spiritual gifts and not talk about this way of love when we think about racial equality and justice in our world. See, Paul describes this way that we're invited into in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 27, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, as you were, were baptized into the way of Jesus, and have put on Christ, have, have accepted that righteous standing that God has given you, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, Heirs according to the promise. See, the issue of racial equality and racial reconciliation is, it's a gospel issue. I I don't care if you're on the right or the left, if you're up, if you're down. I I care that we are centered in the gospel. When you go to say something in, in, in town or post something on social media, are those ideas shaped first and foremost by your political beliefs? or by the gospel itself. Think about that. Consider the things you proclaim. Are you proclaiming the gospel or some political ideal or some social view? We need to be a people who are so centered in the gospel, who are so immersed in the word of God, that when we make a statement in public, we are exemplifying the way of Jesus, that we're raising up this call to to equality and justice that's understood first and foremost by the gospel. Church, let's be courageous. Let's be courageous to do good. let's, Let's seek justice. Let's correct oppression. Let's bring justice to the fatherless. And let's plead the widow's cause. Let's pursue these things because we know how God has treated us. God has been gracious. He has been righteous and just toward us because that's who he is. So let's not treat others the way we want to be treated. Let's treat others the way God has treated us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your word, Lord, because it reveals you. It reveals your character. It reveals what you have said and what you have done and what you have created and your desire and your design for this world. Father, I thank you that you are a righteous and just God. Help us to understand this because, Lord, we live in a world that needs the peace of your righteousness and your justice, a world that needs your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Lord, we live in a world that, that doesn't believe in truth, that, that struggles to, to accept facts as truth. To, we struggle to understand the, the reality, the, the perspective of reality that others are living in. And so, Lord, we need, we need you to do a work in us to make us compassionate and merciful, to, to drive us to do good, to seek justice, to, to, to seek out, uh, to, to, to save those who are oppressed. Lord, give us you. Have your way in us. Overwhelm us with yourself so that as we go out from here, 
we are a people who proclaim your gospel first and foremost. Pursue justice. Do good. We love you, Father. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Church, I don't know if you at home are like I am here, but this gets me pumped. <laughs> like this. The circumstances of these days press in on us from all sides, but let us not lose heart. You are in control and have promised good to those who follow you, so let us be joyful. Let our lives live out the faithfulness you display to us, and may our gratitude be shown to all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessings. Again, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. I pray that uh, today is a blessing to you as you think about the ways that God has poured out his love and grace and righteousness and justice in your life and how we hope in him and him alone for the justice and righteousness that he has planned for this world. A couple of things before we close our time together. just want to remind you that there are four different ways that you can continue to give to the ministry of the gospel here at Trinity, and we'd encourage you to consider each and every one of them as the appropriate way for you to give. We pray that you would give uh, joyfully, that, that you would give generously and joyfully in a way that honors the Lord. We, we offer you to, a way to give online, go on our website, you can give through the app, you can text to give, or you can even mail your check into the office. And all of these, are, all methods are ways that we will to advance the gospel of Jesus here at Trinity. And so hopefully you would consider how God is putting that on your heart. This afternoon, we will not be gathering at 2 p.m. for our regular prayer time. We want to give the, the dads in our midst a chance to rest and be, um, be loved on and celebrated. And so I hope that uh, the day is restful and enjoyable for you all. Now receive the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May, <clears throat> may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.